Welcome to Season 2 of Voices from the Land, a special podcast series produced by the Legacy Hope Foundation. In this podcast series, we'll hear about Indigenous language revitalization projects and efforts to preserve and promote Indigenous languages across Turtle Island. Join us as we learn more about how Indigenous languages are helping Indigenous peoples connect, know, and remember the voices from the land. Hello and welcome to this podcast on Indigenous languages. Voices from the Land is an Indigenous language podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Its goal is to capture more perspectives and voices on Indigenous land language reclamation. We are seeking to capture a range of perspectives to better reflect the many people engaged in Indigenous language revitalization. Our aim is that by listening to teachers, adult learners, and parents or guardians of children in language classes, we can gain more insight into what the challenges and barriers are, as well as the solutions and positive outcomes. In turn, we hope this will form a larger discussion on how to support Indigenous language revitalization. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, our guest is Caitlin Arcan. She is a Cree language teacher and coordinates online courses on the Cree language and culture. Caitlin is from the Alexander First Nation in Alberta. Hello, Caitlin, and welcome to this language podcast. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, maybe you can just talk a little bit about your background, uh, your personal background, like your, 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 your family, your community, your First Nation, that sort of stuff. Okay, I do identify as First Nations. I am Cree and Nakota Sioux and Mohawk by blood, but I am involved more in my Cree heritage because that's the one I was raised and grew up in. I have resided in Alexander First Nation my whole life. And I'm always trying to be involved in all three of my backgrounds as much as I can. Okay, you are an Indigenous language teacher. Did you yes. take a course to become a language teacher or did you, uh, did you just do this by learning uh, from experience? Okay, I do have a long story around this. So I did move out of the country when I was 15. I ended up living overseas for a part of my life. And I was involved in learning the Spanish language. So I ended up moving to countries like Costa Rica and Nicaragua and getting familiar with indigenous cultures over there for a chunk of my life. And by the time I came back to my community, it was very unheard of that a young indigenous female of my age would be traveling. And there used to be this conversation, well, how come I learned Spanish in a month or so, but it's been taking me a lifetime to learn my own language. So that's what really sparked my interest in becoming a teacher. And no, I did not um, go to school to be a teacher. Um, I don't have a certificate in teaching, but I do have experience in being exposed to a culture and a language, uh, meaning the Spanish, 
and then trying to incorporate the techniques that I learned to learn in Cree and some of the techniques that worked for me since a majority of the people here in my reserve only speak one language like they never had that bilingual mindset that I had to develop when I was young and traveling to different countries. A few years ago in 2018, I did have an opportunity with um, the Camilla School, which is in Riviera, Quebar. It's literally a five minute drive from Alexander First Nation. And I applied for a Cree language and cultural instructor position. And I ended up getting hired. And from that job, I did for two years. They allowed me to develop the curriculum that best suited the students attending that school who were Indigenous. And a majority of those students just happened to be from Alexander, right? Because we're neighbors. And since then, that's where the experience just started growing, where I had to engage myself with working with the elders, working with Cree uh, speakers and having to come up with techniques that fit different age groups. So it was a lot of personal experience rather than academic. So hopefully that answers the question. When you were teaching at that school, what uh, were you teaching uh, Cree? Yep, it was a Cree language and culture introductory course for junior high school students. Okay. So tell us a bit about that experience. Uh, when, you, uh, when you went to, at the beginning, when you were starting to just entering the school and that and getting ready to teach your class, your first class, talk about that experience and what did you do to prepare? Okay. Uh, there was a lot of things that I didn't know because I've never had to train as a teacher. I was a youth facilitator for a little time before that. So I had to think of, should I do this the same way that I would when I would approach youth facilitating? Because uh, the school really did give me a lot of flexibility to design the, the class how I wanted because they had no introductory course with indigenous culture and language before. So some of the challenges that came up for me was I didn't understand that some things have to be bound by the Alberta School Board and their curriculum and their policies. So the school had to send me a lot of things that I had to study up on. But it was partially um, things that I had to learn that I couldn't speak about with the culture. Like there was many people from my community saying, okay, you have to be strategic about this. Like, you have to understand some of the things that you can talk about and some of the things you can't talk about because we don't want to share everything about the culture and the language. So I have to go through that training of understanding, okay, what is appropriate for me to talk about? And some of the things that we had to address was the local history, meaning we had to do this whole um, project between Riviera Quebar the community of Mornville, Legale, and Westlock in Alexander. 
because our histories are all coordinating with each other. And a majority of those small towns are English and French. So they only do English and French. They've never had to emerge with indigenous culture before. And a lot of our people still had hurt and memories from these communities. But we've always been building our relationships with these communities that surround our reserve. That's interesting. There is a, from what I understand what you're saying is there's a, a number of communities and they're kind of all have a common history together. Uh, and you coming into that school, the first time you've ever experienced, uh, you know, a native teacher teaching a different, uh, an, indigenous, an indigenous language. How did, what else, what other issues did you, like barriers, did you, did you feel some resistance from the community, from the students that are non-native? And how did you manage to uh, get through that? Okay. Um, one of the things that we did have to agree upon with the principal and the vice principal at the school was the indigenous population in the school was pretty low. So we did have to open up the class to all of the students instead of just opening it to just the Indigenous students. And we did have a couple of students who were, um, they had like disabilities. So that was another challenge in itself where we had to get a support worker for those students to help them learn the language. Um, but opening it up, to the rest of the students, there was a lot more interest than I expected. And it ended up turning into that, well, it ended up shaping the dynamics of that local history because we had students who were from Morinville, for example, and their family history has been there since Morinville was fully established and their parents and their ancestors knew my parents and my ancestors. So that's why when we were saying, okay, we're gonna learn about Alexander history, but we couldn't exactly claim it as Alexander history by itself. And we ended up agreeing that we had to call this local history, like local to Sturgeon County or greater St. Albert division. Um, and then for the students, uh, like I said, there was so much interest there. They were um, students from different backgrounds who attended the class. Uh, I do think what drew them most about the class was the syllabics. A lot of them really loved learning the symbols. A lot of them also, like they value their uh, friendships and relationships with the other Indigenous students about them. And they always felt like this is the time to understand them better. And I don't know how common it is in, uh, in rural areas or, you know, when there's an indigenous community next to uh, a town, non-native people, you know, often there's friction, you know, there's uh, differences. Uh, but it's good to hear that, uh, that students uh, from different cultures get, can get together and get along and try and, uh, understand each other so it's kind of you mm -hmm. know in, in many ways in some ways it's kind of like reconciliation building reconciliation right yeah uh what is okay tell us about uh, 
you're in a classroom and uh, let's talk about your your uh, your time in the classroom. Would you say it's immersion? It sounds like it was a, a non-immersion classroom because of, you know, uh, it's it was new, right? And uh, people were just learning how to 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 get used to having a an indigenous language class. Uh, talk about about uh, about what you did, like in the classroom. How did you go about your teaching your lessons? Okay, so the program that we have been um, constructing uh, for the past six months here in my community. It was hosted online through Zoom because of COVID. Right. Um, in the past, the school in our community, they have always had annual Cree lessons for the adults um, in the evenings. However, those didn't always work out because a lot of parents, they would, um, they would not, uh, not attend because they had to take care of their kids in the evening time. A lot of them didn't get off work in the evening time. So we thought, okay, let's see if the Zoom is gonna work. And we did find that it was a lot more accessible. We had a higher attendance rate than we have when the school was running it by themselves. So we ended up opening it to um, the other departments in the reserve to help support us in this. And it led to discussions like the, to introduce full immersion in the community because this has never been done before. Like even the resources that the school was giving us was kind of minimal because like I said, even the school was bound by what they can teach and what they can't teach or how much information they can teach. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess what really sparked the interest and the discussions for this program was we decided as a group meeting, uh, the coordinator, me and my coworkers, the elders and the chief and council, we all came to this agreement that basically the best way to introduce full immersion in an online setting was we wanted to have things like stickers and labels uh, put everywhere. And when we pitched that to the community, that's where they had the most interest was because they wanted to see the language all around them. And that's never happened before because our language was never written, right? Or specifically in this community, it was never written down. It was always the oral. And it was kind of hard for our native speakers and elders to understand that because that is how they learned. They learned it orally, but we're noticing that our youth, our younger people, especially myself, we have an easier time uh, understanding and learning the language when it's written. Yeah. But there, like, there's always a debate there because some people say like, this word is spelt incorrectly or there's this T rule. And then when you like when you write it, it, it looks different than how it sounds. And it sparked all kinds of different um, conversations, but yeah. it's a blessing in disguise because if we didn't have these encounters of these small little issues, then we wouldn't have known how to better 
construct this program from scratch. Yeah. It's uh it creates discussion, right? So uh even though it's uh, it's a debate about you know how something sounds, you know, that's a positive, you know, that's that's a good thing. Uh that's part of learning. So um so you were um so you were doing this through Zoom. Did you uh before COVID started, uh before COVID was around, were you actually in a classroom with students? No, I wasn't. Um, this is uh, the okay. program was only offered about six months ago when we started in November. The right. position was uh, offered to me and my coworker, yeah. and before that, we didn't have uh, not we didn't really have any kind of pre uh, pre program in the reserve. Now, is the uh, is the uh... The Cree language program that you're involved in is this uh, for school students, uh, like students in the school only, or is it also does it include community members? I think you said it also includes community members, right? Like after school, after after work, and that. Yes, yeah, so we do offer our classes in the evening, and before, like the very first few days that we started. It was just strictly for community members. We didn't really get the attendance that we were expecting. So we ended up opening up to non-members, like uh, members who are from Alexander, but who live off reserve. And mm -hmm. we've seen the attendance spike right up. Yeah. And the biggest blessing in that when we opened it up was we had members from Ontario who who have never been in Alexander, but they have membership here. And they were taking interest because it was another way for them to reconnect with the community while they grew up and they lived really far away. And it was people who I didn't even know, like learning that I have a cousin in Ontario or learning that this person is in BC and they're trying to um, do language stuff over here so it invited a lot of these um different people uh i was going to ask you what range that like you you have uh adults in the evening and you have students during the day uh, do you change your style of uh teaching your method of teaching when you talk when you teach uh young people and when you teach old people okay uh, we do have an all ages um, content right now because uh, in the Zoom, we would have like the adults or the parents and they would be sitting and listening with their children at home. So we had to make sure that when we were designing the content and what we were going to teach and the different topics that we were going to talk about, was understandable to all ages. Um, and we don't necessarily cater to any age right now. It's just for whoever is wanting to join. Like, okay. we, it's not a traditional classroom uh, curriculum setting. It's just who, whoever attends class that day, we welcome them. And like uh, for people who can't make it every single class, we try to make sure that they're caught up with the content that we are teaching. Like if a person hasn't come in 
to the class for a month, then we would make sure that we would get them caught up by offering uh, tutor sessions on the weekends mm-hmm. or um, offering one-on-one for people who didn't feel comfortable in the group setting. Yeah. So you, so you use the same format, same approach for young students and adults, right? Older people? Yes. Well, let's say uh, you're, uh, you're, you're in the classroom and you're, you're, you're teaching. What, uh, what, describe what you do, like in terms of how you go about teaching, like what's your method, what's your, what's your style, what's, what, you know, how do you go, let's say I'm a student and you're online now, what, what, uh, describe how you would go about your classroom, your, your teaching. Uh, basically, we would start off with the word of the day. Um, we don't necessarily do smudging or prayer in the beginning um, because it, it's too much of a policy and a procedure, and we didn't want it to be so policy and procedure. So we start off with the word of the day, and then we would uh, have a sentence with the word in it that we would use for an example. And then depending on the topic, we would tell them, okay, this is what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, and we would also do a recap of the previous lesson for those who missed it or for those who needed a refresher. Um, typically, me or my coworker, we would be um, introducing the topic, um, getting them to learn a few words that we're going to teach them that day. And then we asked for the participants to um, repeat the words back, or maybe we will play a little game, or maybe we will give them a worksheet to help them understand these words. And then sometimes we would get into table discussions near the end so that people can uh, get the concept or the context of a certain term. Um, And to add on to that was there was a lot of learning that we had to do as instructors because we had noticed that there were certain terms that had its own history attached to it and we would have to learn it the night before and then teach it the next day. So there was some inconsistencies uh, with that. That's why it's, it wasn't a traditional classroom because we would literally <laughs> be learning something yesterday and then teaching it the next day. So for an example, uh, the word ayamichige in Cree, it means to read. And that word has uh, some history tied to it that we had to understand, like before our elders and our native speakers, they didn't have to read or write. And this word only came to existence when residential schools and the signing of the treaty came right so we had to learn that information in order to help uh, our participants understand and feel like the words that they're learning are very meaningful and that's the goal that we really wanted to get was even if they didn't learn that word exactly at least there was a history and a meaning and a purpose to that lesson or that topic that day. Um, in your uh, teaching experience, what are the biggest obstacles to success for your students 
What are the barriers that are holding your students back from being more successful in learning their indigenous language? I do have um, a couple different things that I wanted to touch on. Um, first was we had to acknowledge that not everybody was comfortable in a group setting. And like uh, I said before, that's when we had to allow participants to come to us and we would offer them one-on-one -on -one tutor sessions uh, whenever they felt comfortable. And me and my coworker, we would arrange those. Another thing was um, the Zoom wasn't always accessible. So sometimes we would meet with um, participants face-to-face -face for people who had like hearing issues. Um, so we knew like Zoom wasn't always the 100% best option. So we had to learn how to cater to things. And that was a challenge in itself because we were dealing with people who had a wide range of disabilities or something that physically or mentally um, stopped them from learning. Another thing was... Um, a lot of people just didn't have the confidence. Like we were noticing, especially a lot of the youth that they always shied away from learning their language and their culture because they always got scolded. And every time they would approach an elder, they would get scolded, right? So we had to reassure participants that this is a safe place. Like you're not gonna get scolded here. You're not gonna get shamed for asking stupid questions. Um, and to also help our elders and our um, native speakers that sometimes they do speak harshly or sometimes uh, people just naturally like when they have such a passion that it comes out aggressively at times. And then it's like, well, why is that? So we had to learn to address those differences between like youth and elders and stuff like that. Another thing was, we started, see, we started to see people expressing trauma and that trauma resulted from people who tried to learn and then they got scolded or people who felt like, um, I'm trying to say it in an appropriate way where they acknowledge that their, their family members who went to residential school, they were trying to respect their wishes that they didn't want them to learn Cree because they were um, forced to not speak it. And we had to also recognize that our elders who attended residential schools had a very hard time because they just wanted to protect their families and their kids, right? Because they lived in that time where languages and cultures were banned. So we had to address those things. But another way that we had to address them was we did like PowerPoint presentations where we had to talk about, okay, here's some basic techniques, like what are some of your senses in learning? Like, are you more of a visual learner? Are you more of a listening learner? Maybe if the way I'm teaching doesn't help you. Maybe we can ask you to visit a particular elder in the community and they can help you. So we had to think of other alternatives to get people more comfortable and to build that confidence to learn. Is this like your community of Fort Alexander? Um, 
are they the ones that employ you or are you employed through the municipality as a teacher? Through the school? Um, like I said, it's kind of, well, it's really hard to explain because I'm employed by one of the departments, but I actually, uh, I'm, I'm partly employed by the school as well. So it's like a collab between the school yeah. and the other departments. And it's only because I need access to those resources, right? Yeah. The reason why I asked this is because the, the next question kind of ties into uh, the community. And uh, you say you teach at the school and uh, is the school in the community that you teach at? Yeah. It's the it school is. on the reserve. On the reserve, okay. Now, your reserve, how is it dealing with uh, um, the challenges of Indigenous language development reclamation in the community? Um, are there any barriers that the community is facing? Any challenges, the, the issues that they're dealing with that, that they need to overcome that are having a hard time with right now? So I guess the very first barrier is we have a lot of loss in our community, meaning more and more of our native speakers are passing away, right? So it, we are finding it um, a challenge to work with the native speakers that we have left. Yep. And that's where we had to make the decision where we had to bring different opinions and people together in the community because we, we wanted to make sure that when we do this, that we're not going to go backwards from here or whenever we encounter, encounter a problem that we're not just going to stop like we did in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely the biggest issue and probably why there's such a priority reason for it, that we're doing it in this way. Another thing is there is a lack of resources like I acknowledge that my reserve isn't the wealthiest um, so sometimes we can't always like print off materials for people who need them um, sometimes we have to reach out to people on social media in order to just get in contact with them yeah. where we can't just um, always keep it in a formal setting so I think those are the two major barriers. Also, uh, what would you say is a, a key factor, okay? A key factor in your community or school efforts to improve Indigenous, indigenous language outcomes for students. What is a key factor in your community or in the school that would improve or, or has improved Indigenous language outcomes for students? What has worked well? The one thing that we did notice was um, in the beginning, we were acknowledging that the students who were learning Cree in school, they would come home at the end of the day to their parents and they were trying to um, speak the Cree that they were learning at the school to their parents. But then their parents were like, we don't understand you. Like, we need an emphasis that we need to teach Alexander Cree. And then another conversation came up where it's like, well, what is exactly Alexander Cree if all Cree is Cree? So we had to acknowledge that our school, like our reserve didn't have 
a Cree teacher of its own. And we always had to hire outside of the community for Cree teachers, such as Saskatchewan, Manitoba. And those individuals, although they were doing a fantastic job, they were teaching um, words that came from the Ojibwe language. They were teaching words that came from the Chippewa language. And there was that inconsistency of terms, right? Because we had to acknowledge that people in Alexander were interpreting um, terms differently than how other Cree speakers would interpret them. So we had to come up with a way where the Cree makes sense to a, a wide range of people. So for example, if you have the word library in Cree, you could say, I am Kamik, or you could say, Masanaika Kamik, for example, which means reading room or book room. So, like, for example, Cree teachers from out of the province, they would say, I am Kamik, but then our elders would say it the other way. And that's where we had to say, okay, this is another reason why we have to focus on building our language the way we want it because then we would have terms that everybody would understand and nobody would be fighting with each other about which Cree is the right Cree and stuff like that. What were like what would be the uh, like in terms of what you're doing in your school, in your community, you're teaching Cree and um what would you say are the key factors of the success of what you're doing? What has contributed to be successful in your Cree language program? It's kind of a hard one to answer because uh, we like we do have ambitions for like everybody to speak Cree eventually, but it's a tough answer for me to give you because we don't really know where this is taking us yet. Right. Um, and like we said, we're building it from scratch. So we might think, are we gonna be learning more modern terms? Are we gonna be learning more old school terms? Like for example, in order to go forward, we have to understand that our language never got to evolve with the modern world around us. So it's sometimes it's hard to say, okay, let's learn office terms, but then we don't have a word for computer or we don't have a word for markers. So we're acknowledging the loss of translations or where our native speakers are also hitting a barrier. But hopefully one day we could have that improvement where we can uh, learn Cree with that makes sense to the world around us and I think that is the goal or that is what is keeping people motivated because we did have this discussion one day with the participants where we were like how do you say Apple Watch in Cree and then we had this whole discussion on well we we also didn't have a Cree word for car before so how did our ancestors and our native speakers learn the word for car and I think uh, we're kind of going on the basis of those issues Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully that's um, easy to understand yeah it's very uh, 
I understand what you're talking about, and uh, because uh, there's a lot of new terminologies, new words, and we've almost—it's almost like uh, you know, during the residential school era, uh, we've lost all those opportunities to learn and grow as the country has grown and evolved uh, from uh, a certain way of lifestyle to a new way of lifestyle, new words, new terminologies come about. We all, we, uh, like the indigenous people in this country have lost, you know, that opportunity to develop words as life progresses. And uh, there's, there, there is no words for computer. There is no words for, you know, uh, certain type of, uh, of uh, terminologies, uh, medical, education, whatever, uh, sports, whatever, whatever, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's thousands of words that are, that are not uh, available or, or were never developed or could, or could have been developed, you know, if, um, if we hadn't lost uh, the language to residential schools. Uh, even like, even as you talk about uh, uh, in a community, uh, there's certain ways of certain saying certain things. Some words have two meanings, and uh, and uh, and you go to another community, uh, whether it's Cree or you know you, you go to another key community, they're speaking a, a different dialect and uh, saying things slightly different than yours. So it makes it that much more challenging when you don't have speakers from your community. To uh, to teach the the the, uh, the community dialect, so and accent as well. So uh, those are kind of important uh, learned and picked up over over the years. So that's uh, just to kind of uh, I got a couple of more questions and then we'll we'll end this podcast. I know that you've learned how to speak a different language other than uh, you learned to speak Spanish. And uh, now I want to ask you. How would you say like uh, indigenous languages are different from from English or Spanish? Uh, can you describe if, uh, if is it harder to learn indigenous language? Uh, would you consider Spanish a different language? I know it's just, it's just a foreign language, much like English is. How mm -hmm. difficult do you find did you find learning Cree then from learning uh, English or Spanish? Uh, for me personally, um, I had to really think about that for some time where the only answer that I could find for myself was I just had no one to speak Cree with my whole life like I sure I had my grandparents but I didn't always see them all the time and my my friends my cousins they never really had an interest so that's why it was always a work in progress but yeah. I always was able to understand the basics like command words like astamota or nenote mitsu like do you want food like I, I always understood the basics but I was never able to hold a full conversation right. and when I learned Spanish I was actually in a school for a month and I also had to work for this organization and they only spoke Spanish like there was no English being spoken so that was more the mo uh, more of the motivation for me to learn Spanish because if I didn't learn it then I wouldn't have been able to work for that organization overseas yeah. and some of the differences that I find between um, Spanish and Cree is Cree is very ver uh, verb based 
and it's very animate and inanimate based, meaning we focus a lot on the living and non-living. Whereas for um, Spanish, they focus on the masculine and the feminine terms, meaning if you're a female, you would speak more of the uh, feminine terms. And if you're a male, you would speak more of the masculine terms. Oh, and for me, I was able to retain a lot of the Spanish because it came to a point where in my head, I could remember whole conversation just all in Spanish. And I would be able to translate them word for word, whether the sentence was backwards or not. And I always had this interest like, well, how come I couldn't do that for Cree? Um, another thing with the Spanish language was it was very Christian influenced and it made me understand the Christian influences that were incorporated in the Cree culture in the language over time. And I had to learn what was the authentic Cree culture and language and what was introduced over time. And that part is personal to every person because what I might say might be totally different to how somebody else understands that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. With the like let's say you're gonna teach, would you teach uh Cree different than you would teach Spanish? Yes, I would. Yeah. In what um, way? For Spanish, I would teach it differently because they have their structures of pronouns differently. So in the Cree language, we understand that pronouns are one of the very first key things that you learn because it connects us to our relationships, right? It connects us to how you identify somebody who plays a certain role in your life. And then in Spanish, they don't really focus so much on the pronouns. And one, it's because it's very confusing. Like there's two different types of pronouns in the Spanish language. Okay, wait. Such as the... Wait, wait. No, what is a pronoun? Uh, a pronoun is how you identify yourself and then how you identify someone else or something else uh, or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in Spanish, it's not really the case. But in Cree... Um, that's basically what is based off of, like even a basic sentence structure in Cree is pronoun, the verb, and then your suffix. And in uh, Spanish, it's the noun, and then the verb, and then the pronoun, or sometimes it's the pronoun, and then the noun, and then the verb. So it depends on that sentence structure and how you, you um, have to approach it is the basic greetings and stuff. So for Cree, the way our people understand basic greetings is you would recognize that person as having a certain role in your life. Like, hello, my grandmother. Um, hello, my friend, how are you doing? And then in Spanish, it's more like you, uh, you don't address that person. You don't address them as having a relationship to you. So it's kind of the exact opposite. So that's why the approach would be different. So what, like, so if you were 
if you're uh, if you want you're approaching your grandfather and you're you know you're you're saying you want to say hello to him you wouldn't say hello grandfather so what would you say hello just say um, hello tanse tanse nemo shum uh, no in, in spanish i mean how would you say oh. it in spanish like i would it instead of saying uh in Korea, say tanse nemo shum hello my grandfather in spanish what would you say in spanish uh, I don't know. It's casual, like "Hola, cómo estás." Uh, that's basically it. Because they, um, when yes. you're in that situation, it's like you recognize that they're already standing in front of you. Yeah. So you don't really need to say it. You just say hello. Yeah. I want to ask you: What do you think the the indigenous language? How do you think it rela relates to a culture's worldview? Yes, I do believe there is a strong connection because it's a time to celebrate being who you are. It's a time to celebrate being unique and to recognize that when you were born into this, that it was made from you from that time that you were brought into this world. Um, sometimes we need to acknowledge that all knowledge is held in the language and in the culture and it gives us information about all kinds of history or about all kinds of things like it helps us understand the world around us it helps us understand our relationships and how we understand animals plants the climate relationships and it all contributes to our worldview and to me, like when people ask me, what does language revitalization and culture means to me? I would basically say it's essential for ensuring the continuation of the culture in that transmission of all of that knowledge because it's already embedded in it. And when we lose that, then we have a harder time understanding things because then we're relying on those foreign concepts and then when we come back home with those, it makes us confused because then you have different people arguing with you about those things. Mm -hmm. And when we do learn our language and our culture together, then we're able to build those common understandings. And also, like I said, it helps us to understand the world around us. Like it could help you understand to be a better person who's more spiritual. It can help you to understand how to be a person in a, in a professional setting and stuff like that. A um, couple more questions. Um, do you have any resources you'd like to recommend to us? Like uh, learning, teaching, teaching tools, learning resources that you use that, or that you're aware of? A big resource that I could offer is to just understand uh, what your learning um, preferences are. Like first you need to acknowledge, okay, am I a visual learner? And if you are a visual learner, then what does that mean for you? Does it mean that you have to be involved in a round dance? Does it mean that you have to be involved in a round dance that has only the language being spoken? Or do you always need to see a picture on your flashcard 
like with the picture and the term on the flashcard. Or if you're more of a hearing learner, doesn't mean that you always need to uh, have somebody speaking uh, the language to you every time. Uh, some people, they close their eyes and they just, they constantly repeat the same word until they get it right. Uh, sometimes it helps them with their pronunciation. Um, another resource is to not try to rely on um, different ways, like different communities do it. Because like I said, in my own community, we had those discussions about uh, different communities and native speakers interpreting things differently. And it's only because they interpret the culture and the language just a little bit differently. But when you get very involved in it, then you're going to understand those differences. So it's very important to start from your own community. And I'll give you one example for seasons. We had a discussion about it because we were comparing different terms for the seasons that we use here in Alberta to the way um, other Plains Cree um, communities speak about seasons in Quebec, for example. And there was one difference where we had to recognize that all of the terms relevant for seasons were relevant to our climate here in Alberta, meaning we had to have words like the freeze up or we had to have terms like neoscumin, which means the breakup season. Whereas different communities, they had very different climates where they had more rainy seasons, they had more dry seasons. So all of the Cree terms that they had for them was relevant to where they lived. Right. So I, I think we want people to take those things into consideration where everything is relevant to where you are right now. And that's where you need to learn. Like if you see a spruce tree in your area, then you need to learn the term for that. But if you're say, for example, in the tropics, then you need to learn the term for palm tree instead. Are you like, as a teacher, can you recommend any teaching tools like uh, books or apps that uh, that are successful in helping teachers teach and students learn better? Yep. So there is um, two uh, Plains Creed dictionaries online. There's one that is, uh, we call it a Musquichi Cree dictionary. And when you type it into Google and you see it, it it's this yellow website. That one is built from the Amusquichi community in Hobima, which is south of Edmonton. And then there's another one where it's built for basically all of the different dialects and it's more of the updated one. So there's two different ones and they both show up when you type in Plains Creed Dictionary online. And the Amusquichi Academy Plains Creed Dictionary also has an app that you can download on your phone for Apple and Android or any device that you have. Um, another resource is, uh, I noticed that a lot of people like to use the seven grandfather teachings to start. 
mm-hmm. which is like the bear represents respect or uh, the sabi represents honesty, for example. Um, and you could also use the medicine wheel, although I do know that not everybody likes to use it because it's so um, complex. Like it's one of those things that are very big, but it's a great place to start because then you could start making it relevant to you. Right. Like you can start understanding what spirituality means for you. What does the physical aspect mean to you? What does the emotional aspect means to you? And then you can build um your understanding of your language and your culture through your own eyes instead of relying on somebody else's interpretation all the time um for books and stuff um I don't really know any since I am kind of bound by a promise I made in my community where I wasn't going to rely on outside resources to build the Cree uh culture course And that's because of all of those discussions around interpretation and stuff like that. So I made a promise to my community when I started this that I would only get the Cree language from the native speakers that we have here. Well, I want to thank you, Kate, Clayton Arcan from Alexander First Nations. Thank you on behalf of the Legacy Hope Foundation and the project working on Voices from the Land. you are a very smart young woman, very knowledgeable, and definitely heading in the right direction. You're doing great things for your people and for your part in uh, uh, revitalizing the Cree indigenous language in your community. Thank you very much for taking the time again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity as well, and I hope you guys take care. We will. Okay. Thank you, Caitlin. Voices from the Land is a podcast project produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Music is provided by David Finkel. For more episodes like this and to learn more about the work we are doing, please visit www.legacyofhope.ca.